Sports are such a big part of all of our lives. From the big plays to the unforgettable games, they continue to inspire us in unimaginable ways. But what happens to the athletes, the warriors, and heroes of our time when the game is finally over and the sport they love and work their entire lives pursuing greatness at continues on without them? How do they cope with the transition? How do they find purpose, reclaim their identity, and work towards a vision of the future? As a former professional athlete, playing in the NFL for eight seasons, I know the unique challenges that these athletes face. On this podcast, these athletes will share their stories and how they navigate life beyond the game. All right, everyone, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Life Beyond the Game. Today's guest is Marcus Lattimore, and so grateful that I had the opportunity to connect with this guy. Um, his story is really uh, quite incredible. Um, he's been through so much challenge and adversity in his uh, football career, and he was one of the most highly touted running backs in college football in uh, early 2011, 2012. And I will never forget, um, you know, when I first heard about Marcus, I remember watching him uh, when he was in college at South Carolina. And there was this play when he ran through the hole and someone went down low on his knee. And I had never seen a worse knee injury in my life. Um, And I could just, uh, I can feel it in my body. And it was just so traumatic. And he was supposed to be, I think the year before he actually had a knee injury on the other knee and he was supposed to, he was in the top contendants for the Heisman Trophy, which goes to the best player in college football as a running back. And then he was, you know, supposed to leave for the NFL after his junior year, possibly be a top 10 pick, one of the best running backs to ever play the game in college. He broke the record. He only played in 24 games in college and he has a record at South Carolina with 38 touchdowns. And most people play around 35 to 40 games in college. So imagine what he could have done if he didn't actually get injured. Um, And then that knee injury actually was so traumatic. It wasn't just a normal ACL, MCL tear. He had like nerve damage, totally like the most traumatic knee injury I've ever seen in my life. And he ended up getting drafted in the fourth round because a team took a flyer on him, uh, the 49ers. And his knee was just never able to recover right. And so he actually never actually got the opportunity to play in an NFL game. Um, and it's just a really sad story. Um, you know, the ones that you don't really hear about, you know, the guys that literally had everything it took to be one of the greatest in the game. And his career never really was able to start because of these freak things, um, stuff that is out of our control. And in this episode, he talks about that journey and then how to handle, um, how to handle that emotionally and mentally transitioning out of football, finally having to let it go because his knee wasn't right. And, you know, him seeking out drugs, alcohol, and all these different things and numb out the pain of not being able to process the things that he was going through. And, you know, we talk about in the episode, you know, even though the NFL and, and all these major sports leagues provide resources to us as players, it's when you're going through it, it's so, so much more than that. It's so, so challenging. And, you know, that's why I built the Heart Collective. Um, it's a community built exclusively for former male professional athletes to create this community atmosphere 
um, to be surrounded by guys who actually know what the experience is like. Cause it is such a unique experience that if you don't go through it, you can't really resonate or hold space for somebody that has. And so the vision behind the community is, uh, is being surrounded by guys that get it and you can feel heard, you can feel seen. And, you know, me and Marcus talk about in this episode, the importance and the power and the healing that it takes place when you finally are able to understand having self-awareness for what's going on within you and being able to express that to people that can hold space. And that's really very much what the Heart Collective is about. Um, Marcus is actually a part of the Heart Collective, which I'm really stoked um, bringing him on board. And we're going to continue to grow this thing. Um, if it's something you're interested in, go check out theheartcollective.com. That's H-A-R-T, theheartcollective.com. And we're actually creating an amazing library of content and masterclasses and thought leaders um, that are going to be available to anybody that wants to purchase a ticket. And um, obviously there's added stuff that goes into being a, a member of the community, some closed group conversations, some retreat experiences. Um, but we are going to be providing content to anybody that wants to dive into some of these practices to help us navigate life's big transitions and just really improve our self-awareness and, um, you know, become more centered and at peace. And, you know, Marcus's journey is really inspiring to me um, to, to, to see what he's gone through and for him to get to where he's at now. And, and he shares in the podcast uh, the work that it took to get there and, and some of the practices and tools that he's implemented. Uh, just really inspiring to me. And I just really know you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. Um, so without further ado, here's Marcus. Marcus Lattimore, what's up, brother? How you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, Joe. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Man, I love your smile, man. Your energy is just so beautiful. And I'm really excited to to have you on and share your story. Um, I know I've kind of followed you from a distance and it's been really cool to actually connect with you um, over the last couple months and have the opportunity to get you on uh, Life Beyond the Game so that we can share your story and some of your wisdom and knowledge and some of the things you've experienced that I'm sure have led to a lot of growth. But let's um, go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners um, and kind of share a little bit about who you are um, and then we'll kind of dive into your football journey and uh, what got you up to this point where you're at now. Awesome. Well, again, thanks for having me. Um, like Joe said, my name is Marcus Lattimore and I live in Portland, Oregon with my wife and my standard poodle. And I moved to the Northwest uh, from South Carolina where I was born and raised and kind of made my name. I played at the University of South Carolina from 2010 to 2012. Uh, faced some adversity throughout that time, but was drafted by the 49ers. Uh, spent two years there, and it was a great experience. Uh, never got a chance to see the field, but uh, learned a lot. And after I retired, I went back to South Carolina to complete my degree because I left early as a junior, and I knew that was something that was important to me, number one. But uh, their college degrees. So it was something that, uh, you know, just I knew I needed to do to take that next step. I didn't know where I was going, uh, but I knew I needed to take that next step. And uh, after I graduated, I started my career. And most of my career has been in athletics. I uh, started as a head coach at a private school and uh, spent two years there. And I got a call from Will Muschamp in 2018 to come and be the director of player development. Uh, 
for the University of South Carolina. Spent two years there. And now I'm here in Portland uh, as a life coach at Lewis and Clark College. And uh, it's just been an amazing experience. Uh, a, a different group of kids that I'm working with, uh, the West Coast and East Coast are distinctly different. What's the differences? Uh, Enlighten us a little bit about that. Because I know yeah. I, I played in Atlanta for five years and I know it's my first time coming from the West Coast to the South. It is very different. But what, what, from your perspective, what's the biggest difference in the, in the kids? Well, the importance of football in the South is is pretty evident. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's it, there's Christianity, and and then right right beside it sits uh, SEC football and high school football, and just how uh, it brings purpose to a community. Mm. Out here in Oregon, uh, which is the only place I've I've lived actually lived for an extended period of time here in the Bay Area, um, you can just sense that. Uh, they grew up near a beach. They grew up uh, with a lot of sun. Uh, way back on, not as uh, into football, I guess. <laughs> yes, and they have. And you know what? They have a lot more interest mm. uh, outside of football. That's that's one thing that I've noticed, and uh, they're able to hold a conversation uh, with. with and, and you know, not saying that you know kids from the south aren't you know brilliant, because there are a lot of intelligent kids that I've met. At, at my alma mater in different places, but but from such uh, a young age, they're so focused on football. That's like the dream to play football, and it's such a big part of the culture down there that they want to be successful. They want to make it. They want to play in the SEC and college football. And ne- not necessarily these these kids might not have the same kind of aspirations because they're so they're they're exposed to so much more, and it's not such a focus in their kind of culture and environment and their upbringing. Right. So growing up in the South. Obviously, you had dreams from early age to play football. Um, so kind of talk about the origin of that. And it's interesting, too, talking about the difference, how that might affect the transition out of sports, too. Like as a kid, if you want to play in the NFL or, you know, make a pro career, career out of your athletic journey, that can actually be more difficult when you, when you finally have to transition out of it, which we'll talk about uh, your journey of transitioning out. But let's talk about the genesis of your kind of football career and into college um, and then kind of how that journey sprang? That's such a good question. You know, in the South where I grew up, in, in rural South Carolina, uh, f- football is important. Uh, it, it's everybody in the community supports the local high school team. And, you know, from the time I was seven years old, that's what I saw. Uh, that's all I, I really had known. And it was beautiful. Uh, it, it was a beautiful way to grow up. It was it was fun. You know, we had a lot of land. Uh, so, and that really, that's all we needed. Football, a football, uh, or any type of ball, really. I mean, we played baseball and basketball as well, but we had a lot of land, and we had a the head of our program. Uh, his name was Bobby Bentley, and he interacted with all the different age groups. You know, he came down to Pee Wee. Uh, when we were in middle school, uh, he he interacted with the coaches and we ran the same plays and, and the same formations. And most of us, uh, most of the little league teams had the same name as, as the high school. We were the the blue rebels or the white rebels or the red rebels. Uh, we, we were all mingling. 
it's like little minor, minor league teams. So you got, they breed you guys from a young age to fit into the system, even that you're going to do in high school. Cause it takes that much. Cause it's so competitive. It, it is, it, wow. it is. And you know, we played against some tough competition, hmm. you know, I, I, I'd be, I'd be, uh, willing to bet some of the best competition in the country. I mean, we just had so many guys that we saw, uh, come, come out of the local high schools in the, in Spartanburg and Greenville County. And I mean, it, it, that, that's what we know. Uh, that, that's all we knew growing up, you know, from the time we were seven years old, there was a group of us that stayed together, hmm. uh, until we got to high school. And, and, you know, by the time we were seniors, I mean, we had 10 guys that had division one scholarships, which is kind of, uh, which is kind of impressive. Uh, but it was, it, it was just normal. It was normal to, to, to see that, uh, mm-hmm. growing up, you know, my hero, uh, my heroes, uh, plural uh, are some people that, you know, you, you probably never heard their name, but they, they were local superstars. And, you know, I grew up in that town where Friday night, everything was closed, uh, because everybody was at the football game and it, I couldn't ask for a better way to grow up, although I didn't know anything else. Um, but I, I, I will say, as far as initially loving the game, that's not that that wasn't me. Um, I, I I didn't, you know, I remember the first time I had contact, and it was at seven and eight years old. I didn't really like the game. Wow. You know, I was really playing because all of my other friends were playing. Was there a moment in your life when you really started falling in love with the game or was it always that kind of attitude like you felt like it was just something you had to do? I don't necessarily think think it felt like it was something I had to do. It was just something that I, I, I felt a part of the group mm. and I wanted to be around my guys. Mm. Um, uh, th- those, were my, those were my friends growing up and since they were playing football, basketball, and baseball, I mean, I thought that was something I should do. Now, my, my dad played the game. My brother played the game. So uh, there was a lot of unconscious influence, but I was never really pushed by my mom or dad mm. uh, to, to go out on the field or on the court. Uh, I, I did it because I wanted to hang out with my friends. And I, I think I learned to love the game maybe around the time, maybe around high school. Uh, when we start to get when we start to get a bit more attention mm. uh, and, and a bit notice, I think I uh, maybe fell in love with those things first, uh, and that then realized funny. that <laughs> I had I had a little bit of talent and I could take this to the next level. Yeah, talk uh, a little bit about that. You you obviously were pretty good in high school when you started getting that attention and that external validation, and it was probably really all exciting and. You know, talk about the decision to go to South Carolina. I'm sure that was a big moment for you to be able to play for like the hometown school. And then we'll dive into kind of your journey into college. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah. Yeah. High school was high school was interesting. Uh, we had. It was pretty common to see recruiters come around, you know, and by the time I was 16, I had my first offer and it was from Clemson and then University of South Carolina followed. Uh, I didn't really have a love for any any team in state. I was more a fan of players. Uh, my my brother was a big fan of Peter Ward, you know. So I followed Florida State. I followed LSU because of Jamarcus Russell. I love watching him play, and I followed Alabama because they they ran the ball. But I knew what was going on in state, and 
uh, Coach Spurrier, who was the head coach at the time, uh, came to my house around January when I was a senior. And uh, I was, you know, getting close to making the decision. And I kept both in-state schools in my, I guess, in my top selection because uh, I, I kind of felt that pressure uh, from, from people uh, in the community. Uh, but they really didn't sway me or, or, or influence my decision at all. Uh, I just, I, I saw it as an opportunity. Uh, Coach Spurrier, his reputation was honesty. Uh, but I also knew he had a reputation of, of throwing the ball. You know, and once he, he sat right in front of me, he looked me dead in my eye. He said, Marcus, if you come here, we're going to run the football. And for some reason, I believed him. And, and you know, and we did. Uh, mm-hmm. We we ended up running the football a lot. And I, I made the choice to go to the University uh, of South Carolina the day before signing day. And I didn't know what I was stepping into when I made that decision. Uh, I didn't understand the magnitude of it that time, but when I got to campus, I uh, uh, it, it became real clear that it was it was important for a lot of people in the state that I came to that school. Mm. Yeah, that's it's really fascinating to be, to be such a highly talented you know running back. For those that don't know, you're you're a running back, and to to I mean, a lot of colleges they'll they'll tell a high school athlete like what they kind of want to hear, like we'll run the ball. But for you to actually be that good where they're going to change their entire offensive scheme and game plan to kind of build the offense around you because you're so talented. Um, what, what was that like? You know, like yeah. you go there and they actually shifting that because, you know, you were such a talented running back. What's what's you know, when I look back at that time, Joe, uh, I mean, I was just so naive hmm. and, and, and so, uh, narrow-minded in my thinking when it came to college choice. I'm so glad that I chose the University of South Carolina, and I know that it was the right decision for me, but just thinking about my my uh, my process of, uh, of decision-making throughout that time, I, I was really only focused on playing time mm-hmm. and, and, and being able to run the ball, but Heck, I'm glad I did, kind of. Yeah. Um, it's but, fascinating, right? I had the same thing. Like for 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 high school kids to make such a like literally a life changing decision, like what school they go to, it's literally going to shape yeah. their entire lives. And I remember me too. Like playing time was a big thing for me. I got scholarships to to University of Arizona, Oregon early on, but they wanted me to commit right away. Um, and then University of Wisconsin, some of these bigger schools. But I ended up going to UNLV, which is a lot smaller school because I wanted to play right away. And I remember the coach told me like. Joe, you can come play defense, offense. You can play whatever you want because you're just we we need somebody that's your as talented as you. And I was like, okay. And I obviously went there and played offensive line because that's what I was the best at. But I really enjoyed playing defense. But yeah, man, going it's like fascinating how we put so much weight on these kids to make this life altering decision when we don't have the skills or the experience or the wisdom to really make that decision or understand the impact that it is going to have on our entire lives and the direction that we go. And. I mean, just to add on to what you just said, that the, with, with the with the external pressure that, that that you mentioned earlier, and the external validation that you're that you're receiving from all of these people who are are either fans of the school or know who you are, um, it, it unconsciously influences everything. It, it unconsciously influences how the, the decision that you make. And you don't even realize it, but uh, it, it was, you know, it was something that 
I, I look back on now and, and I realize that the, the, these kids are the, these kids who are making decisions today. They have they have another layer, which is social media mm. uh, that plays a big part into to uh, their decision making process because people are people they don't even know strangers, you yeah. know, from all different walks of the all different areas of the country are, are swaying them to come this way or that way. And that can uh, build up an ego that it's hard to tear down. Mm. Um, but, you know, getting back to, you know, going there, it was, I didn't, re- I didn't understand the magnitude of it at that time. So I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't give you a clear, uh, a clear answer as to where I was going or what I was doing. I was just going with the flow. Mm-hmm. I was going with the flow of life and I knew a couple of things. I knew to work hard. I knew to respect my coaches and I, I knew to, you know, just be a good teammate. You know, the, those three things that that's what I knew because my, I know, I don't know. My thinking was just so narrow at that time. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, Thank God that I had parents around me, you know, who 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 saw who saw other things, who who saw the other uh, complications that came with making that decision, and uh, they kept me grounded. And I had good friends around me. Uh, w- without them, I, I really don't know. I don't know how how I would have ended up. But uh, I, I went in. And I worked hard and. Uh, you know, a few of the running backs who were ahead of me at that time, so, uh, they had a couple of hamstring injuries and quad injuries. And, you know, I was somehow stayed healthy. I had some fresh legs, I guess, coming out of high school. And I got an opportunity early and I, I never looked back. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that college journey because I was looking a little bit at your stats and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you hold a school record for touchdown, rushing touchdowns at 38 but you only played in 24 games um, because of some catastrophic injuries that ended up costing you a lot of playing time. And it's just really, it's fascinating to know, like you were so talented and if you would have been able to, you know, not get injured, like what you would have been able to kind of accomplish there. But talk about that journey of, of having that opportunity early and then kind of how it, how those injuries affected your entire collegiate career and leading up into the, the NFL opportunity. I think early the, the universe just wanted me to win. I had a great offensive line. I mean, a, a veteran group, a bunch of juniors and seniors up front who had been playing together for a couple of years. You know, so that first year, uh, we were just running inside zone and they had been running that for the past, you know, two or three years. And, and I guess at that point, it was kind of unstoppable. I mean, across the board, we were 6'5 to 6'7. 300 plus pounds. And I was just uh, a young freshman reading and trying to get through those little crevices and, and just running hard. But, you know, going into my sophomore year, I put a lot of expectation on myself. Uh, again, just still a little, still a little bit naive at that time. Uh, I went out at SEC media media day and said, I wanted to win the Heisman. And I was close to it, you know, uh, going into the ninth game of the year, I, I, I knew that, I was first, I was really first in the, in, in the voting at that time. And, uh, you know, I, we, we come to Starkville and 
around the fourth quarter, a guy runs directly into my left knee, tear my ACL and MCL. That was the first time that I really sat out for a significant period of time, and I didn't know how to handle that. Uh, I felt left out. Um, and then I go into uh, my junior year uh, with, with, you know, the instruction of my athletic trainers and I get back and I get, I'm feeling strong. I feel pretty good. And uh, it was in the back of my mind that the NFL was close and that was a dream, you know, given the, the family situation at home, we didn't grow up with a lot and I knew that money could change things. So <laughs> if there was one thing I was aware of it, uh, in college, it was that, uh, that, that money, money could change things. And, you know, I go, again, going to the ninth game of the year, it was kind of funny how both injuries happened, you know, towards the end of the season. And, you know, that injury just changed my whole life. Um, October 27, 2012, I dislocate my knee and tear every ligament, uh, have nerve damage. Uh, they rushed me to the hospital. And there's a possibility that I may never walk again. I wasn't thinking about football at that time, but you know, obviously that throws a wrench into into your future plans. And uh, you know, was still able to get the opportunity, but uh, I feel like time stopped in that moment. Mm. Um, it, yeah. it was, and I it was remember, a tough thing to go through. Yeah, I'm sure, man. And I can't even imagine what that must have been like because I actually remember watching that on TV, like the actual injury wow. and how it's very vivid, the picture in my mind of, you know, you being this running back that's potentially a, a top pick, right? First round pick potential. You you just came off of potential Heisman and you blew your knee out. And then just to see that and everything that goes into that, um, I just can't imagine what that's like. But you decided to enter the NFL draft after that year anyway. And you were so good that even with how bad that injury was, a team decided to take you. I think it was the 49ers drafted you in the fourth round because even though the recovery, there's a long road to recovery still. And even if you, you, you were questioning whether you could even walk again and you were so talented that a team actually spent a draft pick on you still to try and get you into that kind of professional training room to try and get your knee right. Talk about that journey of going into the draft and getting your name called and, and how you handled that. And, and obviously it's two sides, right? There's got to be some kind of disappointment with the way things turned out, but still having that opportunity and that dream is very much still alive at that time. Yeah, it was a weird process. It, it really was, but I'm, I'm just, I'm so, I'm so grateful to the 49ers, 49ers organization to this day uh, to live out a dream uh, to take a chance on a guy with uh, knees that may not recover, uh, you know, I'm I'm for great forever grateful to Trent Baalke and Jim Harbaugh, uh, and I got to you know play with my hero. The reason why I wore number 21 was because of Frank Gore. I got to sit in the same meeting room as that guy and, and watch him work, and and, and uh. I understood why he was so great. It's because he never thought he was great. Uh, he never got complacent. He always worked his ass off. And it was just so impressive to be around that dude. But going through that process, um, it was nerve wracking, uh, you know, because you got so many people in your ear, you know, telling you things. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I had a giving personality. Uh, so I always wanted to listen to what everybody had to say, you know, so that that's just feeding into my brain. And 
you know, I hired an agent, you know, who told me, I don't know where you're going to go. And I appreciated his honesty. He said, you may go first round, you may go undrafted. You know, we just got to see how this thing shakes out because, yeah, obviously because of my injury. But, um, yeah, I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, after I declared for the NFL draft in December, uh, I I waited uh, while I rehabbed and I got better and I got stronger. I was able to put together a, a mini pro day, you know, just so they could see uh, that I was at least functional, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that my body could still move a little bit. Um, but <laughs> I didn't know what was going to happen. I was just, uh, I took a chance. I took a chance and, um, the, it, it worked out in my favor. I was thankful. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know where I was going to go. I, once that day come day three came and I got a call from, uh, a, a 415 number that I did not recognize. Um, I, I kind of had an idea that it was b- because I saw the, the name of the city. I c- kind of had an idea that it was Oakland or San Francisco. So I picked up the phone and I was just overwhelmed with emotions. Mm. Uh, my whole family was crying. I was crying. And uh, a week later, I was on a plane to the Bay Area. And uh, man, what a... What what a change in life! What what, what a change in just everything! Absolutely. Uh, but what a big moment! What pick were you exactly? Because I was the fourth round as well. I was pick one seventeen. I was one thirty one. Oh man, fourth round! Let's go, fourth round, baby! I know, man. It's a big moment for all of us to to hear our hear our name on draft day and get that phone call. And I just I know it's probably a little bit different journey for you. It's almost probably probably a little bit of disappointment on one side and then a, a sigh of relief because you actually got the opportunity. But I want to I talk about the rehab process. I mean, so impressive that you were able to even get out on a field to, to showcase that you were recovering and, and where you were at as far as that knee injury. Because I, I mean, people that haven't had those like season ending injuries, like I remember when I tore my ACL and MCL and the, just the recovery to come back is such a mental journey and emotional journey. And not being able to use it right away and not, and obviously you had that experience of going through the ACM sale, but this one was just such a, a more traumatic thing with the nerve damage. And just talk about the journey of, of when you got hurt and the process of rehabbing and the surgery and, and getting back and trying to even see the field, like how much work that actually is like paint the picture for people that have never actually been through that experience. Yeah. Well, my first injury uh, was a standard ACL. Uh, I, I slightly tore my MCL. Uh, so the recovery process wasn't as painful as uh, the, the the next injury that I had. Was and this I, on the I was same just going knee? to. It was different. Uh, it was knee. different knee. Oh, damn. I don't know different if that's better knee. or worse. So, yeah, both, both were, uh, <laughs> both had been through the ringer. Yeah. But I'll talk about uh, my, my second injury. It was uh, something that I I didn't know what questions to ask uh, because I honestly I didn't understand how much had happened to my knee. Um, I, I was flown down to Alabama. I had to see Dr. James Andrew. He completed the surgery. It was the most I, I wouldn't I wouldn't wish the pain after waking up from my surgery. I had a. I, I had a block on, so they had numbed my whole right leg, but I still felt the pain 
after I woke up from the surgery. And I would not wish that pain on my worst enemy. Uh, from waking up from that moment uh, for the next couple of hours, um, you know, that, that's a situation where <laughs> you you give me all the prescription pain pills that you that you can because I just the the pain was excruciating. Something that I really can't even I can't even try to try to describe what it felt like. Yeah. Uh, but after that, yeah, it, it it was tough. But after that, you know, I get up and. I, well, I didn't get up. I sat in a wheelchair for, for a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. And my because of my injury, my leg was straight. Uh, my leg had to be straight in a straight cast for it for at least three weeks. And uh, coming out of that straight cast, uh, we wanted to start bending my knee. You know, try to get the flexion and the extension back. And I mean, I. Uh, again, that just something that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Trying to describe how that pain felt, it's like trying to bend, bend uh, a, a piece of steel. Uh, it, it was just, it's just uh, it, it, tough. Uh, I can still feel it to this day, viscerally. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, eventually, I'm able to uh, bend my knee a little bit. Uh, I start standing, uh, I start walking, uh, and, and it kind of helped. You know, I was down in Pensacola at Dr. James Andrews Institute. Sam Bradford was there. Robert Griffin was there. They were going through uh, some 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 injuries as well. I, I think it may have been something in their lower extremity, too. So I saw them, and that kind of motivated me. Um and you know, push me because I, I I was on a mission and I and I wanted to get better and I wanted to be able to at least show that I could jog or you know maybe move my feet a little bit before before pro day and um, you know the biggest thing I wanted to do first was just get some strength back into my quads into my hamstring and I mean that's the first that's the first step in the rehabilitation process anyway but. Um, I was able to do that and it was not easy. I had to change my diet. I had to start eating, um, had to stop eating fast food. I love Chick-fil-A. I had to give all of that up. Mm. I had to drink more water. Um, and, and, you know, I look back on that time and I look at how I take care of my body today. It was the start of a new lifestyle, mm. uh, when it came to what I consumed in my body. Mm. And I think that helped me. It's fascinating how much all of that t- plays a role in, you know, the recovery process, but then even just when we're healthy too, like how much better we can perform as athletes and stuff. I don't think people realize how important it is, the the fuel that you are intaking into your body, because it does directly impact how we show up in the day, even if you're not an athlete, just the energy levels that you have throughout the day. How many months was it from when you got injured to when you showed up on pro day, able to actually move around and stuff like that? It was only four months. It was, wow. it was only four months, but it was, it was, intense training twice a day and to go back to what you just said joe at that age uh you can put anything in your body and you can you can still go yep. you know so i was still living uh i i was still living in that mode where the the metabolism hadn't stopped yet mm-hmm. you know my body was still uh able to recover faster uh and, and i i'd lived in that mode for a long time 
you know, up until I got injured and I realized that, oh, okay, my body's changing. Uh, some things have happened. If I don't take care of it, I won't even have an opportunity. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I just don't, that's insane for people that don't really understand. I want to paint a picture for like four months after such a catastrophic injury to show up and be able to even move on your body. I remember when I blew my ACL MCL, it was like six months until I could even start doing field work. And even then there's this mindset of like, not wanting to put weight on it. There's a little bit of this fear that plays the role. Like, what if I tweak it the wrong way and injure it and have to go through this whole process again? And so it's such a, it's not just the physical pain and everything they have to go through to get back to that level to even use it, but it's all of the the mental, like being able to trust that the surgery and the ligaments are going to hold together and all the damage. And then there's the pain, physical pain on top of that. So for you to come back after four months and to showcase, that must've been a huge thing for these teams to see the work ethic that you put in and, and no doubt a reason that, you know, the 49ers decided to take a chance on you to bring you in to maybe get you into uh, their rehab kind of program and see where you can go with that. So talk about when you went up to the Bay area, where your knee was at when you first got there, how you plugged into their kind of rehab program and how, you know, that journey went, because I know you, you ended up the, the the knee injury was what kind of ended your career and where you could really never even start it because it never really got back to normal. So to kind of take us on that journey when you first got to, uh, to, to San Francisco. Yeah. And, and, and to, to mention what you just said, that mental aspect, I, I ruminated all day on, uh, am I overcompensating? Am I, am I putting too weight, too much weight on the, on, on, on the leg? And, and, <laughs> Even when I walked, you know, throughout the day, when I'm just walking, I'm thinking about every step. And, and that will just completely change how you look at your whole body. Uh, when, when, when you're just constantly thinking about what's going on uh, between between that quad muscle and between that calf muscle. Uh, but getting to the 49ers, my leg was still weak. Uh, I, I didn't. I was not in a place. I knew I was in a place where I wouldn't be able to play uh, that year. And, and that was the plan anyway. Coach Harbaugh, when I first entered the building, him and the head athletic trainer sat me down and said, look, this is going to be your redshirt year. You don't even think about playing this year. We're just going to rehab you throughout. And uh, hopefully you get stronger, you get faster, and you get to a point where you feel confident. And, you know, I was integrated and, and the, the rehab process was going smoothly, but I kept having, uh, I kept having pain. I kept having pain, sharp pains throughout my knee that just wouldn't go away. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the process was uh, a, a, a mental, it was, it was like mental gymnastics every day, uh, just trying to fight through the pain. You know, because one thing I didn't want to do was give up. You know, it just wasn't in my DNA to to stop. And, and uh, you know, I, and, and this is one thing that, you know, I, I probably have never mentioned, but I wish I would have told my head athletic trainer a bit more about the pain that I was experiencing. You mm -hmm. know, and, that, and that's probably part of the, uh, the tough guy persona uh, that I was trying to play internally. You know, just trying not to complain, just trying to push through it, uh, and 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 uh, letting my my work my work ethic uh, uh, be the thing, and my willpower be the thing that pulls me back uh, when it 
probably set me back. Um, but it, it, it was grueling. It was tough. You know, I was, I, I think when, once I got to the eighth month period, I start doing a bit more change of direction and a bit more agility drills. And I knew in the back of my mind, um, I was going to keep going no matter what. Uh, but December of 2013, I retired in November 14. So for that 10 to 11 month period, uh, I, I knew in the back of my mind that it was a long, it was a small possibility that I'd be able to recover from this injury because it was just so painful every time I put my foot into the ground mm. uh, and made that cut. And, and you know, th- that's my job. You know, my job was to uh, be firm uh, be firm in my feet and, and, and feel confident. And I didn't, I didn't for the whole rehabilitation process. Uh, I, I mentioned it a, maybe a few times and, you know, yeah, the, the, the pain just never subsided, never subsided. And, uh, it, it just, it bothered me. It, it bothered me every day. So uh, and I pushed through into, going into the second season. Um, when you obviously were wanting to, to, to start participating in football, um, and going into that training camp, was it something you were putting the pads on and and going out with the team and trying to make it happen? Or did you ever even get to that point because the rehab just wasn't, you know, getting to a place where you felt comfortable even doing some of the team drills and, you know, you, you end up retiring that, that November, which is, you know, kind of the middle of the season. So talk a little bit about from when that training camp started going into the season and what that journey was like. Yeah, so we were able to, I went through OTAs and, you know, somehow got through OTAs. Uh, I I didn't feel like myself. One of the coaches actually gave me a compliment and it was was the most surprised that I'd ever been. And that was throughout the summer. Uh, But once we got into training camp, I put pads on. I was never never able to go to the ground. Um, so, So we were in shells, so we just only had on shoulder pads and and uh, we, we had on these cutoff pants. So I was never able to go to the ground. And, and thank God I didn't. Um, but I, I just kept pushing. I just kept pushing through the pain. Uh, it, 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 was a, it was a slight pain in my calf and my quad every day. And obviously, that, that, that's the intersection of where the knee is and where everything was sitting. Uh, and I really just got to a point where I got depressed. Uh, I got discouraged and, you know, I had some leftover uh, prescription painkillers and I I took those for a couple of weeks uh, to try to push through a little bit more. And and (laughs) I'll never forget, my sister was living with me at the time in Santa Clara and I got back to uh, my apartment and I was just sitting on the floor uh, with with, uh, ice on my knee and she came through the door. And she knew, she, she knew at that point, my eyes were bloodshot red. I was uh, crying and I just said, I, I just said to my sister, I can't do this no more. Mm. And that was literally the first person I told, the first time I admitted to myself that uh, this, the game was over for me. Mm. I, because it was just so hard to come to that reality. You know, I, I, it, it, was, it was in the back of my mind for about 10 months. Uh, but I never told anybody. I didn't tell my head athletic trainer. I didn't tell Coach Harbaugh because I didn't want to let them down. Mm. And that's how I felt at the time. I was letting people down. 
and and I was letting the state of South Carolina down, really. But the first person I told was my sister. And she said, well, it's over with. You do what you got to do. And it was like a release. It was like a just the biggest relief uh, that I could ever feel in my life when she said, well, okay. it's time to hang it up. Mm-hmm. And because I didn't, I didn't know how people would respond that throughout that time. Mm-hmm. I was scared. I was scared of how people would look at me uh, because I was, I was a football player. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I did. That's all I've known. That's that was my identity. And uh, to to leave it at the age of twenty three, that's that's just something that I, I couldn't comprehend. Mm-hmm. You know. So that next day, I walked into. Uh, our head athletic trainer's office and I told him I, again I was in tears and I went up to Coach Harbaugh's office and I told him then I called my mom and uh, I, I just felt although it was sad and, and it was something that I didn't want I didn't want my life to go this way I, I, I wanted to play a few years in the league I, I wanted to be I, I, I wanted all my goals to be accomplished it, it was also at the same time a sense of relief because I knew I didn't have to go through that pain anymore. Mm. Yeah, man. Oh. There's just so much in there because, you know, I definitely feel the same. Like there's this this mindset and this toughness and we don't want to feel feel weak or like we're giving up and there's so much pressure of our family, our friends and what they're going to think. And I remember I went through a sim- like definitely not a similar journey, but as far as when I decided it was time for me to walk away, it was something I'd been thinking about for years because of how challenging it is to, to perform at such a high level, the anxiety, the stress, the pain on the body. And it wasn't until I like finally shared that with the people I love the most. And honestly, like for me, I didn't really feel super supported in that decision because I don't think people really understand. Cause I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't going through a major injury. Like everybody could really probably see so viscerally the the journey you've been on and how much effort you did, you went through to try and make it happen. And it's like, the sense of finally like, okay, I don't have to do this. I can like, let it go. But for me, I don't think it like people could see that. It was just like mm. out of nowhere to people. And they're like, why would you give away this dream that you've been working so hard for? And they just didn't see everything that went into it. And so I just, I can, you know, resonate so much with the challenges that, that you feel internally as far as finally letting go. And then like kind of the, the relief, the part of the relief that like, oh, okay, I can like, finally work towards letting this go, but it's not, that's not just a simple decision either. There's a whole journey that goes into navigating that transition when you finally do let the game go and you head into the unknown and you start questioning who am I without this thing that identified who I was for so long. So talk about that journey of finally sharing that, you know, this is something I just, I, you know, out of my, out of my control, I can't, you know, I wish the circumstances were different, but they're not. And this is kind of the hand that I've been dealt. How did you handle really letting go of that because I can't imagine being, you know, a potential Heisman winner, a first round draft pick doing like having a vision to have this really successful career, which was very much in the cards for you and to have to deal with all of this kind of adversity and challenge. And man, I just, I can't imagine what that must've been like. Yeah. God, like you, I mean, you hit on so much right there. I, again, I didn't know how to handle it. I, I didn't. Um, I, I I did what came naturally. I did what I thought that I was supposed to do. And, uh, you know, I made the decision to retire simply because my body said, no, you're not going back out there. Um, it, it just it just wasn't going to happen. 
And I came to that realization. It hurt, but I had to move on. I had to find a different way. Uh, so I went back to school and, and got my degree, but, you know, I was still lost. Uh, I, you know, went into the school with the idea that I was going to study uh, sociology. I ended up switching to public health. You know, and throughout that time, I was just just going with the flow. I was going through the motions of life. And uh, it, I felt like I didn't, I just felt like I didn't have a purpose. You know, I, I was back in school because it was just something to do. Mm. Um, it, it gave me a responsibility. It gave me some type of blueprint that I was used to because, you, as you know, the game lays out exactly what you're supposed to do. And I didn't have that. I didn't have that blueprint anymore. Mm. Uh, so school, um, I, I continued to work out because that was, that was what came naturally. Uh, I continued to rehab because, you know, I eventually, I just wanted to be able to run, run again and, 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 and feel good and feel good about myself. But um, I, I, I kind of went on a destructive path, you know, just, seeking pleasure and, and uh, trying to find things to cope uh, with how I was actually feeling because I didn't know how to express my feelings at that time. And uh, when you don't know how to express your feelings, you, you, you're going to find something that, that makes you feel. Uh, and, and what made me feel was porn. What made me feel was sex. What made me feel was alcohol. What made me feel was uh, experimenting with drugs. And, you know, I, I knew that wasn't me, but I didn't know what else to do because, you know, I didn't take advantage of the therapeutic resources that were that were available to me in South Carolina that were available available to me in the NFL uh, because I didn't understand the power of expressing, you know, I, I, I guess I felt it a little bit, you know, when I initially told my sister how, you know, that I was retired from the NFL, I, I understood how good that felt to let that out, but I'd never really been educated on how important it was to talk about this process. You know, so um, I squandered a lot of time uh, doing things that I didn't want to do. Uh, I, uh, you know, the first job that I took, you know, was a head coach at a private school. And that came naturally because, you know, I played the game of football uh, and I had a bit of knowledge. And, I, you know, I knew I could, uh, you know, put together somewhat of a plan. But again, at that time, I was still lost. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and you know, I just, I was just going through the motions, Joe. Mm -hmm. it, it was a, it was a, it was a time, it was a time period in my life from 23 to about 26 that uh, I was just trying to figure it out. And, um, it was, it was lonely. It mm -hmm. was only because you didn't know who to call or, um, how to express it. Uh, and, and, you know, this, this is why your, your, your walk and, and what you decided to do for, for former athletes is just so vital, so mm -hmm. vital because I've, I've had those thoughts of, I've had thoughts that I never 
thought that I would think. Yeah. And, and it was, um, you know, thank God that I picked up a book and uh, I, I, you know, kind of redirected my life uh, with a with a lot of guidance and a lot of uh, angels that came into my life and, and and showed me that you know there is life after football. Mm, yeah, thanks for sharing that, man. And it's an all too common thing, right? Even the the resources that are available to us they seem so far away and inaccessible when we're actually in this inner battle and inner turmoil of really trying to figure out who we are. It's an isolating experience. Everything we had ever known is gone. Everything who we thought we were, where we received validation for is, is gone. And we look to these things to like numb out the pain. And it's not until we really learn to express how we're feeling that we're able to go start going on this healing journey, but it's hard. And it's what a lot of people don't realize. It's hard as a former pro athlete with these dreams that all of a sudden it's gone. And most people don't understand or can hold space for that. Right. Because they don't know, they don't, there's nothing, there's no relatable experience because it is so unique in so many different ways. And so we don't really know who to turn to. Cause even if we tell a close family member or a friend of what we're going through, like they can support us, but they don't understand mm. really. And I think that's why it's so important, this aspect of community and, and what I'm building with the heart collective is a community of other former athletes who know what the experience is like so that we can actually just, simply express how we're feeling because there is so much healing power in that. And you know, I'd love wow. to talk about that journey that got you to, you know, numbing out and, and, and trying to figure out and go with the flow and like, who am I? Where did that lead you to finally, you know, pick up the book and, and start focusing on yourself? And obviously the, a lot of angels, like you said, come and, and, and start offering support in a way that we really need in that moment. Um, you know, talk about that journey like where, when did that start and the power of, you know, starting to work through and express and, and, and how you learned how to do that and letting go and all that. I guess it took uh hitting rock bottom. Um, you know, just sick of, sick of how my life was. I got sick of myself. I got sick of how my life was uh, going uh, and, and transpiring. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was financially secure. I had a roof over my head. I had a nice car, uh, but I was so unfulfilled in life. And I recognized that. Um, and I think that's the first step, just recognizing that uh, are you, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? Um, and, and that's what I had to do. And I'll never forget, I was, I, I believe that, um, Namdi Asamwa had, had recently retired and he was starting his second act in life um, uh, of becoming a writer and becoming an actor. Uh, he now has a, a, a movie on Amazon Prime and he does Broadway plays. And I, I look back on that time now and I realized that was a seed that was planted uh, in my head when I saw how comfortable he was uh, with himself. Um, I saw how relaxed he was during a conversation that he was having with a reporter about this next act and how um, confident he was going into it. And I'm just, I'm just thinking to myself, how did he get to that point? Mm. Um, I, you know, I didn't say it to myself because at that time I, I, I kind of looked at it as an envy I was envious of how 
comfortable he was in, in creating this next act in his life. And, you know, maybe that was a seed planted, uh, but somebody also recommended a book. Um, and they had no clue what I was going through, but it was called Laws of Human Nature. And it was uh, written by Robert Greene. And, you mm -hmm. know, the first chapter is on the law of irrationality. And I got to a section where he talks about we're all seeking fulfillment in life, but we just don't know the method. We don't know how to get it. And he talks about the pleasure principle as well. I got to this section. I still have it highlight to this day, our brains and how our brains operate uh, and how we're always uh, seeking the desire for the desire for pleasure but we want to avoid pain. And I highlighted that. And it was literally the first time in my life I had never been a reader uh, because I never had to. Nobody ever held me accountable. Uh, football was my job. Football was my reading. Football was my everything. Mm. Um, but it was the first time that I... Uh, really felt humble, humbled uh, in my life when I saw that. And, but it was also exciting at the same time uh, because was, I knew that this was something that I would be interested in reading. Uh, and I don't know, I can't even tell you why I thought or who implanted into me that reading was important. Because I, I don't remember, but I'm so glad that you know, that person recommended that book because it, I kept reading it. And once I kept reading it, I, I felt like all of these, th this ego that I had or this, uh, this need to um, please and this need to mask all of these things that was wrong with me, they slowly started to dissipate and I didn't need to do that anymore. I didn't need to pretend as if I was okay anymore. Uh, the more I started reading that book and I just realized that I'm human, I'm, I'm human and I'm going through some, going through something that a, a lot of the people struggle with. It's just invisible and, and we're just either afraid to talk about it or we don't know how to talk about it. And I don't know. It just, it helped me in my work. It helped me so much in my job because I was able to be more transparent with the guys in the locker room. And at that time, you know, I was 26. I just took the job at the University of South Carolina as director of player development. So I was able to be a bit more transparent with them. And I felt, I felt, uh, I felt as if I was coming into my, coming into myself a little bit. Um, I didn't have to hide anymore. Mm. Uh, how I felt uh, after I read some of that book. Yeah, it's a beautiful that was the start of it, Joe. Yeah, man, it's a beautiful realization. And yeah, I'd love to talk about the power of reading. Um, and I know I had a very similar journey. It wasn't until I picked up my first book, which I'll never forget. It was, I think, my fifth or sixth year in the league, and it was called uh, "The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari." It's a little bit mm. sim more simple read than 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 uh, than the Laws of Nature. That's a little bit of a thicker book, you know. Picking that one up for your first one is. It's kind of dense, but this is a little bit 
it's a little bit more accessible, but it was about this trial lawyer who had a heart attack and basically had to let go of everything he had or else he was going to die if he continued like on this path of of being a trial lawyer because he was really unhealthy. And he goes and finds these monks up in the Himalayan mountains and they teach him all these different tools and finding real true fulfillment and the deeper journey. And that was my journey into reading. And it really opened my mind and I realized, wow, there's so much power in being able to access the wisdom and knowledge of others who have been on this journey as, as well. So talk about the importance of that, the first book you picked up and, and kind of how that's evolved into your, you know, deepening your understanding of self and this journey and, and reading more books and trying to, you know, understand the deeper parts of who you are and how that affects everything in your life. Uh, I was just listening to a song by Erica Badu on, uh, this morning after I finished running on my, on my way back, back to my apartment. And, you know, it's a quote, but she also says it in her song on and on. She said, a wise man knows that he knows nothing at all. Mm -hmm. And reading really, uh, reading really showed me that I didn't, (laughs) I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. And it, it, it humbled me. Uh, but being able to access the minds of people who they wrote this down for a reason. Uh, they they didn't write it because it was uh, so, something that that wasn't meant to be used. Um, you know, you you go back two thousand years ago. There were people who were stressed. There were people who were anxious. You know, there were people who were going through things similar similar things that I went through and, you know, being able to, to, to access their mind, like you said, I mean, that's just, it it shows that you're not alone. Uh, You know, if if somebody has suffered, if you're suffering, there's somebody 8,000 miles away suffering right now. If you've experienced joy, you know, those same emotions that we all go through, Everybody has been through it, mm. you know, so you don't ha- and, and, and you realize after you come to that realization, you realize that we're, we're all one, you know, and we're all trying to we're all on this walk of life trying to figure out uh, the best way to be useful and be purposeful. Mm. And what are some uh, other, it, what are some other tools that you you've used to help you on this journey as well? Because I know it's not just reading, right? But we learn about different tools to help us, you know, work through some of these these kind of more challenging times and the adversities, and even you know, accessing more joy and more gratitude. So, so what are some other tools that you've implemented on this journey to really help help you stay grounded and trying to find fulfillment and purpose? Well, because I started reading, I became more self-aware. And because I became more self-aware, I realized about myself that I cared a lot about public opinion and what people thought of me and, and, and how what light uh, people looked at me in. And partly the reason, a big reason because of that, because I spent so much time on Twitter and Instagram. And um, uh, I, I grew up in an environment where uh, status and there's kind of like a social hierarchy, uh, depending on what you do and or, or what circles you occupy. Um, it's like it, 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 we we rank ourselves uh, depending on our worthiness, like uh, because of the circles that we do occupy, or or where or how popular we are in society. Um, 
you know, a, a big thing for me has been, um, you know, limiting well, eliminating, I mean, my distractions and, and my distractions are, you know, what I'm consuming on a day-to-day basis. I get rid of my phone for a couple hours. I get rid of uh, TV for until like eight o'clock at night. I've, uh, I go outside and I take walks. I, 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 um, I, I do yoga. Yoga has, has taught me the importance of breathing. You know, I feel like, I feel like for most of my life, I wasn't breathing, you know, (laughs) I mean, like just now I'm conscious of, uh, when I'm over overwhelmed, I recognize it. And I, Mm -hmm. and I try to acknowledge those, I try to acknowledge those emotions when they come or that anxiousness or that stress that is, it's not serving me at all. Mm -hmm. And because I become more conscious of those things, I just feel like I have a a lot more peace in life and uh, that feels good. So just really going outside uh, for about an hour and just walking in silence uh, has been a habit and and a practice um, that that has helped me embrace the little things in life. Uh, Another thing is just, you know, I enjoy... I enjoy all things culinary. I enjoy the the art behind food. And you know, I would I would always cook, but I never really uh paid attention to the details of cooking. Mm. Because of that intention into cooking your food is that, powerful. Yeah. That's that you you said that bringing that intention into cooking has been almost therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Um, therapeutic. I, I love cooking now. I love taking walks, uh, yoga, and and obviously, you know, a big thing that I still do to this day is is run. Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, wherever I am, I, I've been running since I've been six years old. I, I never want to stop. Can't you know, take running just, out of a running back, huh? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you can't take it out of me. I, I can't. I can't let it go. Oh man, man, it's such been such a beautiful journey that you've been on, man. And and I know it's gonna be really inspiring for people to hear like what you went through and, and the dreams that you had and the cards that you were dealt and being able to get to this place because it really does come come down to self-awareness, right? And the self-awareness might not necessarily change the emotions that come up or the feelings or the anxiety or the stress, but when you're aware of it, you can you can go outside, you can have these tools to process it. If you understand where it's coming from, you can find somebody to talk to and knowing you don't have to do this alone. So it really does come back to just this, this self-awareness piece, which brings a lot more peace to us, not necessarily stopping these emotions that come up, but just being able to process them in a more like graceful way. Um, and as we come up to, to, to the ending of this, this conversation, I just kind of want to circle back on the journey that you've been on. And, and if there's any advice or, or tools you'd maybe say to your younger self um, or, maybe other guys that are going through a transition uh, from pro sports or anybody that's going through a big transition, right? Because all of us in life go through major transitions a few times throughout life. And they can be really challenging because there's this unknown aspect of, of where we're headed and who we are without the thing that we're leaving behind. So if there's any kind of last piece of advice or tools that you would, you would share to kind of help people navigate these kind of um, these things in their life. 
Golly, Joe. I mean, just really thank you for this platform. But I, I really want to emphasize going back to what we just talked about uh, for anybody that is going through a transition, for anybody that's go that that wants to change their life or or, or just uh, redirect the path they're on. I, I really, really, really want them to know that expect it to be challenging, uh, expect it to be tough, it, it, expect it to be uh, discouraging at times uh, because it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a big decision. It's a big decision to say uh, I'm, I'm leaving something or I want to change something about myself because that means you have to change your daily life. Mm. That means you have to change what you've been consuming on a day-to-day basis. And that's not easy because habits are habits are hard to hard to break. Mm. Uh they're, they're hard to they're hard to to recreate. And um I I just want them to when you hit those walls of just I don't know if I can do this because I felt, I felt like that yesterday, you know, when I, when I was doing some writing, I'm taking a short story class right now. My goal is to have, uh, you know, 16 short stories done by April 30th, but I hit a wall yesterday and I, I got discouraged, uh, but I stayed at the keyboard and I, I got up and I took a, took a deep breath and I took a glass of water and I stayed persistent. Uh, I, I stayed committed to it, uh, and, and I, and I, as much as I can, try not to worry about external validation, or mm-hmm. and I try not to worry about being recognized for what I'm doing. All right, the more you worry about being recognized or external validation or what people will think, you're. you're you're taking away energy that you need for the work that you're doing. Mm. And that, and that can be recreating your life. That can be changing something that you don't like about yourself. It is so worth it. And, and, you know, after I hit that wall, I had a revelation. Every time I hit a wall and I stay persistent, I have a revelation. I just keep going. And there's something else that, uh, that I can build on. And that gives me the the encouragement to keep going. But I just want people to know who are transitioning, who want to grow, who want to change, expect it to be challenging. And, and just know if you stay committed and you stay persistent, stay persistent, you you can do it. Um, and I'm still in that process right now. I'm not, I'm not there yet, but... Do we ever get there, right? The journey continues. I feel like if you're alive then you're on the journey and you're, you're just going to have to keep working through it. Cause it is, it's a dance, right? It's a constant yeah. showing up and trying to navigate it. And, you know, I really appreciate you sharing that cause it's really inspiring me cause I'm writing my book right now and I've, I've hit so many times. I'm like, I don't want to do this. It's just too daunting of a task, but just continuing to show up. And, you know, I, I find myself when I focus on doing it to get the book done and what it's going to look like and what it's going to mean, and it's taking me away from the process of writing and the power and the healing that isn't just, just writing and showing up and working through the, the, the blocks and the challenges. And it's, there's so much lesson in that, right? Like the, the reason that we're showing up, the why that we're doing something is so important. 
And I really appreciate you sharing that, man. And, and the story that, or the, the journey that you've been on, I just can't say it enough, man. It's just really, it's really inspiring to me because, you know, the, the challenges that you've faced and the adversity and the cards that have been laid out in front of you. And, and I just, I can't imagine, you know, the, the transition was, was tough enough for me, but to, to, you know, I, I was able to give football everything I had. And then I walked away and, and you just never had the opportunity to really get started. And, and I just, you know, I just know that a lot of people out there that have been going through challenging times and just hearing your story and knowing that you've got it to a place now where you're able to find purpose and fulfillment and, and through this, this self-awareness and this personal growth path and showing up and knowing that, you know, the challenges are part of the growth or a part of the journey and they create this opportunity to share our journey with others. And there's so much deep medicine in that. And so I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share your journey in such an open and vulnerable way. And, you know, I'd love to, as we close out, give you an opportunity to kind of share uh, where people can find you. If you're, I don't know if you're on social media anymore a little bit, or if, you know, I, if there's anything you're working on, I know the short stories and stuff like that. If you want to plug uh, where people can kind of contact you and get, get more information on what you're working on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. I, I, I write a bit of uh, just blogs, bit of poetry, bit of thoughts on my mind at www.marcuslatimore.com. You can find me there. And on Twitter, uh, my tweets are pretty much just lines that, uh, that that pop in my head that I'm probably going to use in a short story. Those are, those are just all my tweets. Uh, and that's just Marcus Lattimore, uh, at Marcus Lattimore on Twitter. Uh, I'm not really active on Instagram, but I, I have some stuff on there, Marcus Lattimore. It's all, it's all my first and last name. But uh, again, Joe, what you just mentioned, um, if there's no finish line, there, there's no, there's no finish line. Just keep going. Mm. Just keep going. Don't worry about, don't worry about what people have to say. You do what you want to do and, and, and know and, and be who you want to be and just know the cost of freedom. And, and it just takes discipline. Mm. And, and if you have discipline, you can, you can accomplish whatever your heart desires. But I, I, I mean, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm thankful for this. Beautiful, man. I really appreciate you taking time and we'll definitely do it again soon because I feel like we were just getting started and I'd love to, to continue yes, picking sir. your brain uh, on this journey that you're on, man. And, and yeah, just so grateful for you. Thank you so much. All right. Huge gratitude to Marcus for being so open and vulnerable and sharing his story and Man, his, his smile is so infectious, his energy is so grounded. Um, and I know it's taken him uh, a lot of work and quite the journey to get there. And really stoked that he's able to show up and, and share his journey in this way. Um, I know it's inspired me. I'm sure it's inspiring many of you. Um, yeah, if you're interested, go reach out to him. Follow his uh, website. He's, he's uh, an amazing writer putting that work out there is really cool so go check out some of his work all that stuff is in the show notes also go check out the heartcollective.com if you're interested in that um, also check out my other podcast quantum coffee with joe holly that's me it's uh, a lot of fun we talk about the unanswerable questions of the universe i uh, really enjoy doing that podcast and also love and life podcast it's a reality show type audio experience with me and my wife sarah where we kind of dive into some uh some of the, the behind the scenes stuff 
with our relationship, excuse me. Um, a lot of fun. Go to loveandlifepodcast.com. That's love, the letter N, lifepodcast.com and subscribe. And uh, yeah, we're going to continue to put out different seasons. That's really cool, cool experience. And really would love to hear from you uh, on any of the content that I'm creating. Uh, reach out to me on Instagram at joe.holly. Uh, check out my website, joe-holly.com and follow my newsletter um, where you will be able to stay up to date with all the podcasts I'm releasing, all the different cool things I'm working on, some premium content. Um, yeah, we're just getting started. It's just getting started. And I'm really stoked about the journey ahead. And I really appreciate all of the continued support from all of you. Uh, would love to hear from you. Reach out to me, leave a review, rate the podcast, all of that good stuff. It goes a long way in supporting me and my mission to really help, you know, heal people, heal the world, wake people up and uh, make the world a better place for all. Love you all. Peace.